0: to Moses. Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. The date is 1348 in London, England. And the plague known as the Black Death has made its way from Sicily aboard trade ships that were carrying uh, rats, and uh, this bubonic plague was in their blood. Fleas would bite the rats that carried this plague, and then these fleas would bite humans. And as they bit them, they would vomit up a little bit of the blood back into their system and uh, would contaminate them. The victim showed symptoms of uh, infection within just a couple of days. And then continuous coughing ensued as the lungs began to liquefy from the infection. Black patches on the skin became boils under the armpits and on the neck and the groin. And none of the physicians of the day could fight this. They didn't know what was causing it. And so they started doing things like bloodletting and having huge bonfires, thinking that that would purify the air. And within three years, the population of Europe was virtually cut in half. Over 20 million people died. And those within the church were not immune to the plague, which caused them to wonder, is the wrath of God being poured out upon our country here in biblical proportions? Well, considering the uh, plague here that we're looking at in Exodus 13, there's no question about whether it was from God or not, because God himself clearly warned that it was coming in Exodus 12, 29 through 30, which shows the extent of the plague. And so imagine that you're one of the parents of one of those children who were killed that night. Imagine you're the husband of a wife who died from the Black Death in Europe. What do you think that you would give to have that life of that loved one back? We were attending a church in Minneapolis where the music director's wife got very sick. And they began to treat her, and the medical bills began to mount, uh, and then the insurance ran out. And so then, beyond that, they were required to pay $280,000 out of pocket. And so they sold their house, and they paid off their debt. And thankfully, the treatments worked, because two months from now, this couple will be celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. But do you think my friend has ever thought, you know, I wish I had the money instead of my wife, you know? He has a roof over his head. His wife is doing well, and he can't take that money to heaven with him. Before the plague on Egypt came, God declared a way for the children of Israel to be passed over. For those who obeyed him, they woke up the next morning with their firstborn children alive. And he declares that those who were spared were to be consecrated to him. In fact, every firstborn from there on was to be set aside as his. And after that horrible night, I doubt that anybody was hesitant in consecrating their firstborn. Giving God the first and the best became a practice of Israel in everyday life. And yet today we find that many are not willing to give their first and best to God. Instead, they give God the leftovers in areas of time, relationships, and resources. And this morning, we're gonna be looking at four reasons that we should be giving God our first and our best, consecrating it to him. And so first of all, what does it mean to consecrate our first and our best? Well, in the case of Israel, the firstborn was set aside as God's for his service. In other words, they belong to God. And in other places, we see this principle as well. Regarding money, they were giving a tenth of their income to God. Jesus reaffirmed this giving of the tenth in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Here Jesus is chastising the religious leaders because of their legalistic tendencies. He said, Woe to you, scribe and Pharisee, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so do you see what he's saying here? He's saying they tithe down to their spices, the most minuscule thing, and yet they're ignoring justice and mercy. Now Jesus here doesn't say forget about the tithe and just focus on justice and mercy. He says these you ought to have done, meaning justice and mercy, but then he goes on to say without neglecting the others meaning tithing. And so he reaffirms the tithe here. But he also goes beyond it, saying that the first and the best of your time ought to go toward justice and mercy and faithfulness, being championed in the land. And so the main question I would ask in regard to this principle of the first and the best is what is our motivation? What motivates us to give that to the Lord? And I'm going to walk through four different things that should motivate us. Those are right in your bulletin as well. First, we give God our first and the best because he saved us from death. One of the times that I've prayed the most fervently in my life was when our firstborn son, Peter, was born. Uh, We were about four weeks out from his due date, and Mary's water broke. And so we went to the hospital, and they told us, you're going to be having a baby here in just probably a couple of days. And sure enough, he came out and they rushed him off right away to the ICO for uh, for babies, and they started giving him oxygen because his lungs were not fully developed. And so it was at that moment that I realized Peter's life is not in my hands. Peter's life is completely in God's hands because there's nothing that I could do to save him. And if God wanted to take him, he could do so. And so Mary and I have dedicated... Peter's life to the Lord. But the reason that he's dedicated to the Lord is not only because his physical life was spared, it's also because his eternal life was spared. And so, this is the reason that we dedicate him to the Lord. We know that God has saved him. And each one of us who have trusted in Christ have been set free from slavery to sin. Listen what Paul says about this in Romans 6, 17-18. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to st- the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. This is a great verse for Tilda because this is what's happening in her confirmation. She's been set free as a slave to sin and given freedom in Christ. And now these teachings and trainings are setting forth in her life the things that are before her. And so she can give her first and best to him because she was saved from death. When I give my first and best of my time and money, I do want to do so with a heart of gratitude. Not because I have to, but remembering the amazing inheritance that he has in store for me. The second reason that we give our first and best to God is because we recognize that it all comes from Him anyways. In Exodus 12, the previous chapter to the one that we're focusing on today, the Israelites plundered Egypt. Now, they didn't run into houses and clear stuff out and fight with swords and these kinds of things. Actually, God told Moses to tell the people to go to the people of Egypt and ask them for stuff. And so they went to these houses of their, you know, probably former slave drivers, and said, hey, can you give us some stuff? And they plundered Egypt. Egypt started giving all of these things to the Israelites. Now, their captors felt compelled to do so, not because of the goodness of their heart, and not because they felt guilty because Israel had been under their thumb for 430 years as slaves. They did it because God caused them to do it. God compelled them to do it. They couldn't stop themselves. And later on, when the temple was built, the people were asked to bring treasures of gold and silver, fine linen, clothing, all of these things, in order to help build the temple. And they brought so much stuff that the leaders had to say, stop, we have too much. And this is a problem that most pastors wish they had, right? Don't give any more. We're full, you know. We've got so much money, we don't know how to spend it. But usually just the opposite is typical. Most pastors are pleading with their congregation members, loosen your grip a bit on your treasures so that the work of the church can continue. And why do you think that there were such abundant offerings in the desert? Perhaps it's because they didn't have anyone to impress, right? They don't need fine clothes. They don't need gold and silver out there. And so they knew they needed the Lord to survive what was going on out in that wilderness. And I think it was a recognition also that God had caused them to receive all of this stuff in the first place. Giving our first and best to God is the recognition that we do not give him the leftovers. We don't pay off all our bills, buy all the stuff that we want to need, and, oh, I got a 20 left, I guess I'll throw that in the plate, right? He should be the first on the list, The budget. He should be the first on the list for the events of the week. When you look at your calendar, don't like fill it up with all this stuff and then say, Oh, I got to look, you know, extra 15, 20 minutes. I guess I'll, you know, do something for VBS or I'll come to a church service or something like that. Rather, it's because of our gratitude for what He has given us. Third, we see here that we give God our first and best because He commands it. One of the things I tried to avoid with my own children was. Uh, the phrase "do it because I said so." I learned in parenting uh, a class that we took actually, Mary and I, when the um, before Peter was born, that it's always important to give the reason why. You know, do this because this, and it helps them to understand, and you know, they don't feel so resentful about being forced to do something. But I also realized that there were times that they had to just obey because Dad said so. One of those kinds of situations was, stop when I say stop. And the reason that's important is because when they are near traffic or something's going on, I need to know that they're going to stop and turn around and come back to me in a situation that's dangerous. And so we would actually practice this, kind of make it a fun game, you know, kind of like red light, green light, or whatever. And so they learned, you know, first-time obedience, do it because Dad said so. And in that moment, I don't have time to argue with them. Well, why do I need to stop, right? And, you know, there goes the bus. Sometimes you do it just because God said so. And this is the situation like that. Giving God the first and best is hard to understand. It's hard to obey God in this. And many people say things like, well, doesn't God own the cattle on a thousand hills anyways? Why does he need my money? Or they'll say, God wouldn't want me to sacrifice what little I have because God is a God who gives, not a God who takes. (laughs) Or another common way of looking at the church is from a consumer mentality. Well, if the pastor would play more hymns, I'd probably give more money, you know, right? But sometimes people say to me, well, isn't this Old Testament, isn't all this giving of the first and best a principle for the Israelites? We're not bound by the law to give anymore like that, are we? And my question would be Are you more grateful or less grateful? Because you don't have to fulfill all the works of the Old Testament in order to be seen as clean before the Lord. I personally am more thankful because of Christ. And finally, we see here we give God our first and best because He gave His first and best to us. Do you ever wonder why Jesus had to be born of a virgin? Do you ever wonder why he had to be the first? I mean, why not be the fourth son of Mary, right? And partly it was to fulfill the law of the consecration of the firstborn. He was the first to open Mary's womb. Imagine if we could rewrite John 3.16 with a leftover mentality in mind. It might go something like this. For God so loved the world that he gave a nice man to die for it. Or, for God so loved the world that he gave an angel to die for it. Or maybe sticking with the Old Testament way of doing things, for God so loved the world that he created a bunch of animals that we can kill and be saved. The extent of God's gift shows the extent of his love for us. Whenever I question about whether God is a good God and he loves me or not, I always look to the cross. That's the place where all of those questions get answered for me. Because there's a lot of confusing and complicated things out there that I don't understand and can make me depressed. But when I look to the cross, I see his greatest love message for us. Pastor Tom Parrish from Minneapolis, a congregation that we used to go to there. When asked by a congregation member how much he should give in his offering, Tom replied, how much do you love Jesus? If you love him a little, give a little. If you love him a lot, give a lot. The principle that he was trying to get at to the heart of was that we consecrate our best and first to God because of an overflowing heart of love. God loves a generous giver. Not someone who's compelled by guilt and shame, but somebody who loves Jesus so much that he can't wait to see all of this proclaimed in the neighborhood here. In conclusion this morning, in the past two and a half years, we have our own kind of mild version of a worldwide plague. And thankfully, here in the greater Seattle area, we're not burying 300 people a day like they were in London in 1348. And the amazing thing about the Black Death is that it's completely curable. And in fact, it still exists today. A, a young girl from uh, Colorado named Sierra Jane was saved from the Black Death in 2012. Uh, A quick-thinking doctor recognized the symptoms, and they treated it, and she was cured. But the reason she was cured was because of the billions of dollars that have gone into medical research since the 14th century. We consecrate our first and best to God because we recognize that we have the cure for the spiritual black death. And by the way... This black death isn't just going to kill 50% of the people that it infects. It's going to kill 100% unless they put their trust in the great physician. And that's the message that we're spreading. That's the work that we're supporting. Giving our first and best of our time, our resources, and our relationships. One of the major impacts of the bubonic plague in Europe was a predominant obsession with death for centuries afterwards. But as we consider the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can have a predominant obsession with life. And so many questions this morning uh, go through our minds in regard to this. How can we do this? And so my question to you is, how are you doing to spread the cure? At our last Brotherhood meeting, we meet, I meet with uh, several young men on Monday evenings, and we're going through a book, and it's called The Measure of a Man. And it talks about the characteristics of men. And uh, Gene Getz, he lays out something in this area. The chapter we did this last week is on generosity. And so he had eight uh, things that he suggested. I'm going to just read these quickly and uh, see if they apply to your life. He said, give regularly. We should set aside a certain percentage of our income just as regularly as we are paid in order to systematically give to God's work. Plan ahead. We should be joyful, willing givers by planning ahead. Give proportionately. We are only being truly generous when we are proportional in our giving, meaning that if you make a little, then you're gonna give a little. If you make a lot, you give a lot. Model generosity. We should model generosity to others. Considering that the Macedonians gave out of their poverty, should we not be a model of giving out of plenty? Five, be accountable. We need to be accountable regarding the way we use or do not use our income to support God's work. Begin now. God accepts and honors our gifts once we begin to give regularly and systematically, although we may not give as proportionately as we will once our economic lives are in order right? Maybe your life, economic life is a mess, but you need to just start giving a little bit to get the ball rolling, right? Give by faith. We should always trust God for the future income and the portions that we can give to God's work. And then finally, trust God. God will meet our needs when we put him first. He will not necessarily give us all we want, but he will take care of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the way that you've given so much to us, especially eternal life because of your son, Jesus. And as the work uh, continues here at Elam, Lord, I thank you for the generosity of those in the past. And Lord, we pray that you would continue that work here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.